Bibles. Acts chapter number 24 this morning. I'd like to begin reading at verse number 24. We're jumping right in the middle of a story, but I want to do that because I just want to provide a special emphasis on three men found in the book of Acts. In verse number 24, the Word of God says, And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned for righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room. And Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Let's read verse 25 once more. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day and time that you've given us. We ask, Father, particularly this morning, that you'd raise up those of our brothers and sisters that are sick, that are ailing. Lord, we're trusting you to protect us from uh, not only, Lord, uh, things that could betake us in a moment, things that could fall upon us that are dangerous at any time, but also sicknesses, Lord, and things that we have no real way of preventing. We're we're trusting you, Lord, to protect us, to watch over us. I pray, Lord, that this morning the truth of your word would penetrate the hearts of those that are here, mine own included, mine own first and foremost. And, Lord, that we would do with this truth what you would have us to do, that we'd embrace it, that we'd apply it, Lord, that we'd find ourselves closer to you for it. Lord, we love you. If there's any amongst us that are lost and undone, show them their need of Calvary this morning. Pray that they'd be saved before it's everlasting too late. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. As we enter the latter portion of the book of Acts, Paul has been arrested. He's waiting trial. Most of us that are students of our Bible, we know how the story will end. We know that Paul will be sent to Rome. We know that on the way there will be a shipwreck. We know that he will eventually find his way and be in prison. We know the end of the story. But as I've read through these chapters time and time again, the Lord laid something on my heart that I believe will be a help to us this morning if we examine. In the midst of Paul's journey, Paul comes face to face with three different officials that were ruling at that time. We've read about the first one, a man by the name of Felix. The next one is mentioned in the passages we've read by the name of Festus. And then in chapter number 26, he's going to have an altercation with a man by the name of Agrippa. The thing that fascinates me is that in all three of these men, we have men that are faced with truth. When you talk about truth, you're talking about a valuable thing. We live in a world of deception and a world of personal perception. When you talk to people about how they view things or what things are, oftentimes you'll hear people say things like this, well, the way I see it is this. I can know the way that you see it, and you can know the way that I see it. But just because we know how each other sees it, that doesn't mean that we know it how it really is. You see, truth is that baseline, that absolute. Truth is the measure by which all of reality is reckoned and based upon. In fact, truth is so important. Truth is so foundational. The fact that there is reality 
to the things that we say. It's so important that Christ said this about himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just as we have so great a need of Christ in our lives, let us not mistake that we have so great a need of dealing with truth in the right way. In this day that we live in, truth has also become sort of a buzzword, and it's treated as though it's a commodity. Whenever uh, election time comes around, and, and it feels like it's always coming around, doesn't it? You'll hear people use the word truth a lot. Politicians will say, the other man, he won't speak truth to you, but I'll speak truth to you. And it appears as though that kind of rhetoric seems to win elections because there's been lots of men elected on the basis and premise that they're going to be truthful with you. And yet we find that when they get into office, more often than not, truth is the farthest thing from their mind. But we're so hungry to experience truth in our lives that come the next two years or come the next four years or come the next eight years, sure enough, we'll believe that lie once again, won't we? Truth is something that everybody claims to be seeking. And yet we find that truth is something very few people are truly welcoming of. Everybody experiences truth in a different way. There's lots of people that say they want the truth, say they want to know it. And especially, you know, as a pastor, and in and not just a pastor, but a pastor of an independent Baptist church, I mean, we're, we're fundamentalists, so to speak. I mean, we are, you know, we believe the Word of God to be absolutely inerrant and infallible. The very premise of our meeting here today is to discuss truth. When you came here today, I hope you didn't come expecting to hear a lie, amen, except maybe one in the bulletin or something. You came because you wanted to hear truth. Now, here's a question that I have for you this morning. I told you it's going to be a simple message. Here's the basic, simple question that we're going to examine. What will you do with truth when faced with it? What will you do with truth when you're faced with it? We have three men in in the book of Acts. All three of them were faced with truth. All three of them responded in different ways. And we find that of all three of these men, Scripture leads us to believe that all three of these men walked away from truth and rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice first off a man by the name of Felix that's presented to us in our in our passage, he's got some kind of Greek name, Antionus Felix or something of the sort. He was the procurator of this region, of this area. He wasn't a king, but he was an important man. He was a man that could make decisions. He was a man whose word carried power. Do you listen to me this morning? There's a real danger when we get to the place where our words carry power. Because oftentimes our words are not truthful, and it deceives us into thinking that anything that gains power is truthful. Listen, this world is run by a lot of men that don't even know the definition of the word truth, and yet they've gained power through the lies and the deception. This man knew how, how valuable words could be. And he meets this man by the name of Paul. The Jews want Paul to be put to death. They're, they're lobbying for the Apostle Paul to have his head taken off. They've chased him. They've tracked him down. They've got him in chains now. They want to see him dead. And now this man, Felix, thinks he's about to make a decision about truth and judgment. He believes it's in his hands to determine what the truth is. You know, that's very much like this world that we live in today. Everybody believes truth is a relative thing. It's up to me to determine what truth is. Boy, what a culture shock it's going to be when we leave time and enter eternity and find out that our opinion about truth didn't affect truth whatsoever in any way, shape, fashion, or form. Truth is a static thing. 
The things that were true before time began are true today. They'll be true when time ends and eternity rolls. And so Felix thinks he's going to be the one to determine what the truth is about Paul. Well, Paul comes to him and and Felix hears the accusations, but there's nothing really concrete. But he's heard that Paul is a man that is what early uh, early Christians would have called, and then many of the people that were even uh, condemning of Christianity would have called in the way. Paul's a man that is in the way. Paul is a follower of the Nazarene. Paul is one that claims to have met Jesus Christ. And Felix says to himself, I want to hear what this man has to say. And so Paul goes to him. The Bible says he reasoned for righteousness, temperance, and judgment. If you know anything about Felix, if you were to study him, you would know that Felix was a man that had no real grasp of any of these three concepts. He was a decadent man. He was a wicked man. In fact, he kept Paul in prison hoping that he'd be able to withdraw some type of bribe from him or the people that supported Paul. And in fact, whenever Festus came into his room, you know what that means. It means that Felix was booted out and Festus was brought in. It's because through his decadence, through his corruption, and through his bribe-taking, Felix had literally made a mess of the area that he was the ruler over. This is a man that had no concept of these things. And yet here he is face to face with truth. What will he do? I want you to notice first off that we see that Felix was a man that was concerned but turned away the truth. I think, or could I use this word maybe? Convicted. The Bible says he trembled when he heard what Paul said. He was a man that was greatly affected when he heard the truth. I wonder, whenever the Word of God presents us with truth, does it make us tremble? Well, there are certain truths that wouldn't make us tremble. And I fear that part of the reason our churches in this day and age are so weak in our Christian walk is because preachers so often won't preach truths that make us tremble. We need truths that will make us shout. But we also need truth that will make us tremble at times. We need things, and listen, it's easy. It's easy to get up and get lathered up and shout it out and run and, and, and rejoice, and there's times for that. We need to do that. That, that. that is conducive to the Christian walk. It's important to do that, but it's equally as important sometimes to be faced with truth that hurts. Truth that hurts. Can I, can I give you just, just, and I'm not fussing, let me just give you one truth, and I'm not going to give you, let me give you one. The same God is on the throne today that was on the throne when the apostles were on this earth. And the reason we don't see God doing the same things today as He did then is not because God has changed, it's because the church has changed. Our Christianity has grown cheap, weak, and ineffective, and we have no problem with that. What are we going to do with that truth? Does it make us tremble? We're going to see two men after this that it didn't make them tremble. But for Felix, this penetrated his soul and it shook him to the degree that he was physically affected when he heard the truth. I've been in services before. I've preached services before where people wept and cried and seemed to be broken over their sin. Go down to an altar and weep before God and get up and walk out the double doors and live the same way on Monday that they did on Saturday. Let me tell you something. Just because it makes you tremble, that doesn't mean it's going to change you. It's not enough to be emotionally affected by truth. 
You see, he was concerned over what Paul had said. And I believe the reason that he was concerned, the Bible says that his wife Drusilla was a Jewess. He had heard some truth at some point in his life. He, he knew something about the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe at a distance he had heard it. Maybe he had felt it was no concern for him. But as the Holy Ghost took the words of Paul and drilled them into his heart, he began to realize that Christ is the only way and the only means of salvation. You know, it's not just enough to believe Jesus is the only way. You have to accept Him. You have to accept Him. It's not enough to just be under conviction. You've got to be converted. Amen? That's a Bible word we don't use very often anymore. Converted. Christ said of Peter, when thou art converted, strengthen the bread. You know what it means to convert something, don't you? You, you, you can see, used to calculators had them, but who owns a calculator anymore, remember? Right? But you go online and Google a conversion chart or a conversion tool, and you can put, uh, you know, metric into standard, or you can put American dollars into British pounds. What conversion means is a change taking place. I'm not going to get into all the dispensational details about why Peter needed to be converted at that point. But suffice it to say this, Felix never was converted. He said this to Paul, go away and at a convenient season, when I have a convenient season, I'll call for thee. We find out that there were many times probably that they talked and conversed. But you know, Felix never found a convenient season to accept the truth. You know why? Because the truth, and it may sound trite and it may sound silly, but the truth, when we're wrong, is always an inconvenient thing. People that are truly seeking truth, they may be stung by it, but they'll still accept it and embrace it and apply it. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt when the verdict comes in, when the sentence is passed, and when God says that you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And brother, there's been times in my life when I've had to be honest with the Lord, and He's always honest with me. And He said, Toby, you have been tried in the balances and found wanting. There's areas of your life where you're not giving me what you ought to give me. There's things in your life that you're doing that you ought not be doing, and there's things I expect of you to do that you're not doing. It wasn't comfortable. And it wasn't convenient. But therein lies where your character is. What do you do when you're faced with those uncomfortable, inconvenient truths? Will you do like Felix? Will you be concerned? Will it shake you? But will you say, when a time more convenient comes, then I'll hear it. Look what Felix does. Two years pass. And then Felix has dropped the ball and Festus is brought in. And you know what the Bible says? It says that, that seeking to do the Jews a pleasure, he left Paul bound in prison. You know that a convenient season came, but it wasn't a convenient season to accept the truth. It was a convenient season to escape the truth. You know why it's so important? And I'm, this is just basic practical advice, okay? Don't, 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 don't get twisted up. This basic, you know why it's important to go to the altar when you're at church if God speaks to you? Because you ain't got an altar at home. Oh, I know you can kneel down and pray anywhere, but you also know what I mean. There's no better time. If you're not going to do it when the piano's playing, when the hymns are being sung, when the children of God are already down here and praying, when a preacher's up and exhorting you to come and to do business with God, then, brother, I can bank you on it that you're not going to do it at home sitting in front of the TV. A convenient season came, but it wasn't to accept the truth, it was to escape it. And he said, well, it'd just be easier to leave him bound in prison. 
We see Felix. Felix was a man when faced with the truth that was concerned. But I want you to look with me at another man. Look down at verse or chapter number 26, just a page or two over. What about this man by the name of, of Festus? We've heard about Felix. He was concerned. He was troubled. He, would, he trembled when he heard the truth. It affected him, but he didn't apply it. What about Festus? Look at verse 22 of chapter 26. Now, Paul is speaking. And he's actually speaking before Agrippa. Paul has already met with, with Festus once. And Festus had tried to convince Paul to go to Jerusalem. They're at Caesarea. And to stand trial at Jerusalem. And Paul said, I'll not go to Jerusalem. He said, I appeal unto Caesar. Now, that was a sacred thing to Romans. If a Roman citizen, and Paul was a Roman citizen, the Bible never really tells us how it was that he gained dual citizenship, but he was not only a Hebrew and and a Jewish citizen, he was a Roman citizen. And if a Roman citizen said, I appeal unto Caesar, then at that point it was out of everyone's hands. That man had to be brought before Caesar. And so Festus, after trying to get him to go to Jerusalem, can't get him to go to Jerusalem. And so he leaves him until Agrippa comes. Agrippa's a king. And there, in front of Agrippa, in front of Festus, in front of all of the leaders, all of the the royal caravan that would have come with him, Paul begins to give his testimony about what the Lord did in his life. And I want you to notice what happens. This is interesting. Now, you you can read chapter 25 to find out more about Festus, but I want you to notice this interaction. Verse 22 says this, Paul's speaking, and he says, "...having therefore obtained help of God..." I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Notice this. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. We see that Felix was concerned, but he walked away. But we see that Festus is condescending and dismissive towards the truth. This is a tactic that you'll see all the time. You see it in the political realm. uh, You'll see it in, in, in the church realm. You'll see it in the business world. One of the tools that people use to combat being faced with truth is condescension, being dismissive. You see, some men claim that they're being trampled beneath the truth, but other people claim that they're enlightened above the truth. When faced with what Paul was saying, Festus' response, and I believe Festus, in fact, I believe all three of these men were under conviction, and they responded in a different way. Felix responds by trembling but turning away. But we see that Festus, when he's faced with it, he claims the higher moral road. And he says, Paul, all this learning that you've had has made you crazy. You're just beside yourself. It's a tactic you always see. You see it in the political realm all, all the time you see it. I mean, it, you know, you, you, you claim that, that it's just common sense that we ought to be able to arm and protect ourselves, and we're told that we're just not enlightened enough to see that we're being brutes and savages and uncompassionate. You, the, the political realm, you say that, that it's just not economically and fiscally feasible for us uh, to, to, to be Santa Claus to the entire world, right? And we're told that we just lack compassion and we lack vision. 
You see, that's a tactic to dismiss the truth. And you know where it comes in the religious world? Now listen now. When we say, we believe God preserved His Word, they say, well, you just can't understand the Hebrew and Greek. When, when, when we say, we believe that God expects us to be separated, they say, well, you just lack the compassion to reach out to sinners. You know that Christ, the Bible says, was separate from sinners, and yet it also says He received sinful men. How about that? It looks like there's a biblical means of being both separate according to our lifestyle and our actions, but also being compassionate and receptive concerning reaching sinners. You know that the Savior is our example in everything. I believe that if He could be separate from sinners, but He could also receive sinful men, I believe that He'll enable us to be separate from sinners, but also to receive sinful men. But when we preach that, we're told, well, you just lack the compassion. You're closed-minded. You're narrow-minded. You're just want, you're a little clique of people and you're trying to push the unwanted folks out of church. That's a tactic to avoid truth. And you know what people often do when the preacher gets up and preaches and there's a truth that hits them just right here? You know what they say? They say, well, that's for somebody else. But that's not for me. Can I give you a little, just a word of truth here? Did you know that God knew you'd be here this morning? God knew everybody that was going to be sick. I know that's hard to believe. He knew everybody. that He knew the folks that was going to be sick. He knew the folks that was going to lay out. He knew the folks that would be out of town. He knew the folks that just choose not to come. God knew exactly who was going to be here today. When, when, when a preacher preaches to those that ain't here, he's wasting his time because God's given him a message for those that are here. Right? So if God's given you a truth this morning, if God's stirring your heart this morning, it's not for somebody that ain't here. It's for you. But one of the tactics that the flesh tries to use is to be dismissive, to say, that's crazy, that's foolish. You know that a lot of times, oh boy, I'm going to get in trouble for this. You know that the path to backsliddenness is paved with self-righteousness? You know that's how man gets backslid? By saying, he ain't preaching to me. You know, if you treat every sermon by saying, he ain't preaching to me, you're not getting no preaching. Getting preaching ain't just a matter of sitting under the sound of a preacher's voice. It's a matter of seeing it as a message from God applied to your heart and to your life. And when we get into this trap of saying, well, that's not for me. Well, that's for somebody else. Well, he don't know what I'm going through. Oh, neighbor, I don't know what you're going through. But it's a good thing I didn't order this sermon. God ordered it because he knows exactly what you're going through. If you don't think this thing's about God speaking to you, what do you come here for? Am I right? It's about the Lord speaking to our hearts. And oftentimes the way that we get around it is just by being condescending. Well, the pre, and I, hey, listen, I'm not just, sometimes I get the idea that you get it in your head when I'm preaching this that I'm, I'm just talking about you and then talking about me. I'm talking about all of us. I mean, I listen to preaching all the time. And I find myself getting into this thing of saying, well, you know, I'm not sure he knows what he's talking about. Well, you know, or how about this one? You know that you can't pick apart a sermon and get help from it at the same time? Well, I had to learn that the hard way because I'm a preacher. I mean, listen, when, when a preacher starts preaching, I start thinking of sermon outlines. That's the way preachers are geared. And do you know that you can't criticize and be convicted by it at the same time? 
There may be times when the preacher don't say everything the way that you think it ought to be said. There may be times when you don't even appreciate the attitude with which he says it. But that's where we have to decide whether we're here listening to a man or whether we're here to listen to God. He was condescending, dismissive. That's, that's for somebody else. Paul, you're mad. Paul, you're crazy. Or how about this? Well, that's the way he sees it. That's really what Festus was saying, wasn't it? He sees it different than I see it. Paul, much learning doth make thee mad. Thou art beside thyself. Paul, you're out of your head. I don't see it the way that you see it. Oh, but remember in this world that has been polluted and infected with relativism, remember that the Word of God is absolute and is sure and is steadfast and is settled forever in heaven. It's not about how you see it. It's not about how I see it. It's about how God said it. And however God said it is exactly how it ought to be. What are we going to do with truth? Let me give you a third one. Now, hush. I told you it was going to be simple. You didn't believe me. But there again, we're faced with truth. Amen. Look at the next few verses in Acts chapter 26. Look at verse 26. Paul again is speaking and he says, For the king knoweth of these things. Well, what things? The truth. And he's talking about Agrippa. He says, Agrippa knows these things. He knows about the prophets. Agrippa's uh, father had done much to try to stamp out Christianity. Uh, Agrippa had grown up knowing who the quote-unquote enemy was. And so Agrippa knows about these things. He says, Before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, notice this, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am except these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor and Bernice, and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Look back at what he says in verse 28. Then, king, then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. We see one man, and he's concerned with the truth, but he just walks away. He trembles, but he turns away. Then we see another man, and he's condescending towards the truth, and he dismisses it. But then we see a third man, and he's congenial to the truth, but he ignores it. I'd say it went about as well as you could expect it to go with King Agrippa, except for him getting saved. I mean, Agrippa's a man that had the authority and power to take a man's head off. And Paul stands before him and addresses him. You notice the way Paul says it. Paul's not talking to Festus. It's the Holy Ghost talking to Festus. Paul's talking to Agrippa. And he's saying, Agrippa, you know these things. Agrippa, do you believe these things? I know you believe these things, Agrippa. I know that you believe them. And it's so persuasive. And Agrippa looks at him, and I don't know. It it ain't in there, but I can imagine. You, You don't get mad at me for imagining now. But I'd imagine he maybe even looked at him with a smile and said, Almost, Paul, thou persuadest me to be a Christian. See, he treated the truth with kindness, but then he ignored it. Oh, boy. Are you buckled up? Are you buckled up this morning? Everybody buckled up? Got the shoulder across, too? It's about to get bumpy. 
I have people tell me every week, boy, that was a good sermon, preacher. People that go out and completely dismiss and ignore what's been preached. If I, listen, I wouldn't tell you the truth if I didn't love you. It's no better to be kind towards the truth and ignore it than it is to be condescending towards it and be dismissive. See, the truth of the matter is, Agrippa left just as lost as Felix or Festus. I understand there is this politeness that we have to have in society. I'm aware of that. I'm aware we can't always say what we think. You ever had someone show you a baby so ugly that you almost fell to the ground? But you didn't tell them that baby was ugly. You said, oh, look at him. He's unique. (laughs) I know how it is. I'm aware. I'm aware of this politeness that we have. But don't let that politeness bury your Christian life either. I I do my best as a pastor to never preach at anybody, just to preach to them. But don't think for one minute that God doesn't give these sermons for a reason and a purpose. And you, friend, might just be the one that this sermon's for. Don't let that kindness paralyze your Christian walk. Don't be an almost sort of Christian when it comes to the truth. Don't be an all. If you're here and lost, don't be don't be almost saved. Because to be almost saved is to be altogether lost. Hell's full of people that were almost saved. You need to be altogether, as Paul said, altogether. And you can treat it with kindness. Oh, preacher, it's a good message. Or maybe you've got a friend. Imagine what would have happened if David had done that. You know, when you look through the Word of God, there are tense moments found. I mean, moments that are, that are just tense. You remember when Abraham was walking up the hill with Isaac? And all of a sudden, Isaac gets clued in somehow. Because he looks around, and he sees the wood, and he sees the, the fire-making instruments, and he sees everything. He sees the knife, but he don't see no lamb. And he says, Father, where's the lamb? That must have been a tense moment, right? Like when you realize that, that your daddy's walking somewhere and he's got a belt on his waist and one in his hand. That's a tense moment. That's a tense moment. Don't you imagine it must have been a tense moment when Nathan the prophet looked at David. And he told him this parable about a man that had flocks abounding. But instead he went and took the little ewe lamb of his neighbor. And that was all that that man had. And he took it and he slew it. David, with, with rage and anger, I mean, he, he, David physically responded to the truth. David said, whoever that man is, we'll take care of it. We'll take vengeance. Don't you imagine how tense it must have been when Nathan looked at him and said, David, thou art the man. Thou art the man. And he could have done like many do, and he could have said, well, it's a good word from the Lord, Nathan. I appreciate you stopping by. But he didn't. He broke down and he cried and he repented. And he says, I am the man. I am the one that's done that. I am the one that's sinned. You don't believe me? Read Psalms 51 sometime. Broken in a contrite heart, thou wilt not refuse. He said, I've sinned against thee and thee alone. He's broken over his sin, but he's also repentant over his sin. He could have treated him with kindness. And God would have destroyed him. And you know what's happening in this day that we live in? 
God often, now God still does destroy folks physically. I believe he still does. I'm thankful he don't do it like he used to because there wouldn't be a one of us around. But he still does. But more often than not, you know what it is? It's not that God's destroying us physically. It's that God's allowing us to be destroyed spiritually. You want your family to survive, you're going to have to get honest about truth. You're going you're to have to start dealing with truth in reality. You want your marriage to survive, you're going to have to start dealing with truth in reality. You want your kids to go right, you're going to have to start dealing with truth in reality. The kindness isn't getting it done. We have to be honest. We have to say, Lord, that's me you're talking to. Not anyone else. That's me you're talking to. Oh, he was kind, wasn't he? He even went so far as to say this when they got him private. He said, if this man hadn't appealed unto Caesar, he would have been free. You know what Agrippa was saying? Agrippa was saying, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, I would let him go. I believe Paul is telling the truth. And yet still, he said, almost. Almost. See, you can believe that the truth is true and still not believe that it applies to you. Does it apply to you? I wonder what we're going to do with truth this morning. I don't know, and I don't know what the Lord's done in your heart this morning. But if I know God the way I think I do, and I don't know Him very much, but I, I do know this about Him. I've not really mentioned much of anything in the way of, of, of truths that would up, that, that right now you would apply, that would hit you where you're at. I've been preaching on how you deal with truth. But more likely than not, the Holy Ghost has spoke about some things in your life this morning while I preached. Some things that maybe He's been trying to talk to you for a long time about. And you were kind. And you still prayed over your meal and went through the motions and read your Bible. But you weren't honest with Him about those things. So here's the question this morning. What are you going to do about those things today? Today. Don't wait for that convenient season. What, that convenient season when you're sitting at home in front of the TV? That convenient season about midway through the week when you've already racked up two, three days of disobedience to the Lord? Be honest about it now. Now if you want to see a change. What will you do with truth this morning?